a lot of your ability to raise the, the, the size of your deals is not based on your customers, it's based on your mindset and how you approach the sales process. The more you narrow your focus on one single type of problem for one single customer, the more you are the perfect solution to a very specific problem, the more quickly you can scale, the more customers you get. And just getting founders to understand that somewhat counterintuitive approach is one of the biggest challenges of what I do when I work with them. That kind of combination of elements is what I think creates the structure that you just described that will make it make you much more likely to succeed selling to big customers who expect that from their partners and suppliers. Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Now, today we're tackling a challenge that's all too common for business-to-business selling or B2B selling, which is the daunting task of securing deals with those large enterprise clients, those whales, those elephants. It's a world that's filled with long sales cycles, complex negotiations, and the pressure of pitching to massive organizations. And for many business owners, it can feel like an uphill battle, often leading to stress and uncertainty. So to shine a light on this critical issue, I'm thrilled to have Zoltan Vardy as our guest. Now, Zoltan isn't just an expert in the field. He's a seasoned veteran with a 30-year track record, including high-level roles at NBC Universal and ProSieben Sat1 Media, which are both multi-billion dollar revenue uh, companies. Now, he uh, now he dedicates his time to mentoring startups, sharing the wisdom that he's gathered through his experiences. And so he's here on the, today's episode to talk about uh, the launch code, which is the name for his proven blueprint for navigating the complex terrain of enterprise sales. And so whether you're struggling to break into the enterprise market or perhaps your primary route for sales is through enterprise uh, sales and you're looking to refine your approach, Zoltan's insights are going to be absolutely invaluable for you. So get ready to learn how to streamline your sales process, target the right clients, and ultimately how to make enterprise sales less stressful and more successful. So uh, uh, let's get started. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Zoltan. Hey, Alexis. Thanks very much. That was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, it's so good to have you here. And in fact, if we can start with a bit of that that background, can you share your journey from from NBC and ProSieben to becoming a mentor and a speaker, uh, right. now guiding B two B tech startups and enterprise sales? Sure, absolutely, be happy to. So, you know, I'm a startup mentor. I, I work with business to business tech founders who generally struggle with sales, uh, are not comfortable with it, don't have necessary experience with it, and I help them to sell and market to enterprise clients, as you mentioned by applying a, a blueprint that I created called the Launch Code. And it's actually built on all the principles and the tools and the techniques I've used to close over $2 billion worth of B2B deals over the course of my, my career. And as you mentioned, the C-suite and at big media companies, but also as an entrepreneur and as an investor myself. And I think that it's precisely that combination of corporate uh, sort of background and as well as entrepreneurial experience that makes my approach somewhat unique because there is some sort of benefit to balancing that kind of very structured approach to selling that you get from large organizations with the dynamic execution focus that's needed for, for entrepreneurship. And, and in some ways, it also reflects my own personal journey to, to, to answer your question. You know, I, um, I had basically built a, a career, 20-year career in, in corporate uh, sort of sales and marketing and general management um, and had risen the corporate ladder, so to speak, to ultimately become senior vice president of global sales for NBC Universal International. So um, a, one of the, the largest media companies in the world where I oversaw um, you know, $650 million business covering um, 30 different countries in the television business. And you know, after about a few, you know, a couple of years uh, in, in this role, I, you know, I sort of came to the conclusion that I was a bit exhausted by all the, 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 uh, the environment of of a corporate uh, a role, and and I wanted to get back into something a little bit more entrepreneurial, and so it didn't, you know, it didn't take me long until I discovered this possibility of working with early stage founders, and and one of the insights I got from a really uh, early stage of my involvement is that. I met with a lot of people who were extremely knowledgeable and passionate about the products they were developing. 
right? So they really believed in the technology. They really believed in, in the, the problem they were solving, but they lacked the, the mindset and the skills they needed to really be able to sell and market their product. In fact, some of them were quite uncomfortable with the idea of selling, right? It's like forcing somebody to buy something that you don't need. And, and this was really keeping them you know, back. And so what I started discovering is that they were, you know, defaulting to sort of two types of, of approach to selling. One is the, what I call the, I know a guy approach, which is very much, you know, network-based sales. You know, I know a guy here and then, you know, I'm sure he'll mm -hmm. buy our product. And then there's kind of spray and pray approach which is like, let's send out a thousand emails and hope somebody responds. And so I noticed that they really didn't have the skill sets. So that's what I came up with, right? So I took all of this learning that I had and I created this kind of three pillar sales and marketing system that I called the launch code. And it's something that I've shared uh, through personal mentoring programs, through my own on-demand video course and some combination of the two. Now at this stage, having worked with over 200 founders in 26 countries across Europe, helping them to focus their offer message, to build a structured sales model, to execute based on clear guide guidelines and targets. And I think it's addressed a really fundamental need in the market. And I'm very pleased that I've been able to, to bring that knowledge to, to, to fore. That's amazing. And and I think there uh, you're alluding to the, uh, to the pillars of the launch code, which would be Great to kind of briefly kind of cover those before, because mm -hmm. um, I want to then dive into some of the common challenges, particularly uh, that I've experienced myself with my own B two B businesses and and also seen with other businesses. So just um just before I dive into some of that detail and um, take us through like at, at a high level, what's the mm -hmm. what's the launch code? Yeah, so so you know the ultimate objective of the launch code is to help founders build predictable revenues, right? That's the essence of of business. After all, that's how you can invest in people uh, and products. That's how you can build a business. That's how you can raise funding. So it's a really critical need. And, and I do that by helping them to, to sell and market to enterprise customers. And, and, you know, the three pillars I've created are there to address very specific problems. And let me give you an example. So what is a typical situation that you'll find a lot of founders in, right? They go to a, an event and, you know, people will come up to them and say, you know, so tell me what do you do, right? Typical question. And, and I don't know if you've had this experience, Alexis. I, I certainly have where you know, I'll ask this question and then you know, I'm overcome with a five minute monologue of, of you know, gobbledygook and, 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 and buzzwords and technologies with no end in sight. And you sort of leave with your, you know, scratching your head and say, okay, what does this company do? Well, that's the first pillar of the launch code. It's, it's about focusing your offer message so prospects understand what you're selling. And so it really starts with a value proposition, goes through you know, the product offering and then the messaging and the tools and that you, that you convey. So, so that's kind of the first situation. The second pillar is built around the concept of structure, right? So um, it's about, you know, not spraying and praying. It's about not, you know, randomly talking to people that you happen to know. It's about creating a very, very clear idea of who your ideal customer is and then you know following a very structured approach to reaching those potential customers through a combination of outbound so direct selling mm -hmm. um inbound you know when they're looking for you and reaching you and partnerships when you're using the the credibility and the reach of third parties to to reach their ideal customers and so the outcome here is really to become much more structured and hopefully be able to close a higher percentage of your deals um you know an example of a company i worked with um, out of uh, uh, Slovenia actually uh, a development company they were really struggling with with identifying their ICP, their ideal customer. Mm -hmm. And just by going through this process, we were able to raise their conversion rate from 5% to 40% just by wow. identifying the right type of customers they should be speaking to. And the third and final pillar is really about execution, right? The, the best laid plans are pointless if they aren't brought to life. And so here it's, it's how do you create a very clear set of goals, objectives? How do you manage your performance, track your performance against clear KPIs or key performance indicators? Also, you can make a better decisions based not on gut feeling, but on data and then mm. using that to reach your revenue goals and hopefully finally building a team that takes the founders out of that day to day grind of selling and puts them in a more strategic position and, and, and helps them hire the right type of people to actually deliver the sales on an ongoing basis. That in a nutshell, focus, structure and execute is what the launch code is all about. Nice. I, and, and I love that. And I love how much focus there is uh, on getting clear on who your uh, ideal customer is and what you're doing for them because yeah. i think that's something that uh, i've certainly struggled with over the over the years and and i think it's it's partly because it's there's this weird dynamic where i think that sometimes there's an assumption at the very beginning of the business that it's that that should be what you do like you get really clear on your niche before you even start and then what your proposition is before you even start, and then you build it and so on. And whilst if, life, that's, if only life were that easy. Well, exactly. It's like, that, that's ideal. That would be amazing if we could do it that way. 
But my experience and working with other clients has been that actually you kind of have to start a bit wide and a bit scattergun to work out where there seems to be the most interest. I remember with my first startup business that probably took a year or two before we went, actually, we've got these like just a few big enterprise clients in our case, like Cisco and Autodesk and some others, where he said like they're seem, they seem to be happy spending thousands of pounds when we've got other clients who seem to like be frustrated spending hundreds of pounds. What's the difference? And when we do- dove in, we were able to understand not only the type of customer, you know, enterprise, et cetera, but actually it wasn't just that. It was like how they were using it, what problems they were looking to solve. And so we were able to then pivot the whole business around that. And I think, but that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do the longer that you're in it because you kind of feel like you're one thing and then changing that is hard. So um, I want to dive into some of the common challenges that I think businesses uh, face when when doing this. I'll ask you for for others. But if if I throw one of the first ones at you, which is, as you say, like you want to be clear on what's the proposition that you've got and who's that for. And particularly if we're going to go down enterprise sales, because there's lots of benefits of doing that, you want that clear. And yet, when you, you know, you mentioned like talking to someone at the event, at the event, I remember with my other software business, I remember I'd speak to a hundred business leaders and only one or two of them are the enterprise ones. And so if I had, you know, if I'd got my pitch perfect for the really big enterprises, I'd have had 98 (laughs) really frustrating conversations and maybe I'd have gone to the bathroom in frustration and missed the other two with, with, with enterprises. So, how do you manage that? How do you balance that? Or, 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 or how do you uh, tackle the challenge that I think a lot of business owners will have, which is, I don't want to alienate people. I get that I need to make it fit. Like, how, how do you bring that together? Well, look, I, I think some of the most fundamental questions you have to answer in the beginning of finding your focus have nothing to do with ultimately whether you're selling to enterprises or selling to mid-market. Right. I think they are they are much more fundamental to how are you articulating a very clear problem for which you have an obvious solution, right? And that has nothing to do with whether you're selling to a company that's got you know a hundred thousand employees or, or or five. You know, you've got to start with that. And I think that in itself is where a lot of companies go astray. Is especially I'll be honest with you in the last kind of twelve months where it seems like AI is a solution to everything. It's like, you know, the latest tool to do this more efficiently yeah. and to increase your effectiveness by you know, 1.2%. But it's like, hey, let's get down to the basics. Like, what problem are you solving for who and mm-hmm. why are you better than the competition? And I think, you know, the, the best laid, you know, tool is irrelevant if you're sending it to the wrong person and the wrong, you know, and that you're sending an irrelevant message. So job number one is focus your offer message. And, and I'll give you a very specific example. So I worked mm-hmm. with a, um, a company, a SaaS uh, startup out of Poland that, uh, that had a solution that enables uh, industrial manufacturers to, um, to audit the effectiveness of their production processes, right? Pretty common situation. And, and, you know, and, and when I started working with them, it was very clear that they had a very interesting solution, but they were trying to sell that to solution to so many different types of customers, to different industries, to, to different type of markets, to different, right? It was like they were trying to be everything to everybody. And I told them, I said, you know, and this is one of my favorite sayings is if you're everything to everybody, then you're nothing to nobody. You know, you've got to be very clear on one specific type of customers. And so we worked together to narrow their focus to auto manufacturers and very specifically in the German market that were specifically um, inclined to to look for those incremental tiny improvements in, in, in effectiveness, right? So there's a bit of a mentality, there's a bit of a you know, a clear, uh, you know, industrial focus. And what mm-hmm. happened is, is as we started focusing their, their message to that particular customer, a couple of things happened. First of all, their potential customer recognized themselves in their communication, right? It's like when you're, I'm sure you get this all the time. You're like, get this email, like, what the hell does this have to do with me? It's like, you know, completely irrelevant. How different it is when you get an email, it's like, hey, you know, if you're, if you're a production director at a, at a, at a you know, A-level, you know, um, German um, parts manufacturer, um, you probably have this problem, right? And then you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. That sounds like me. Let me read on, right? And then you're kind of focusing yeah. that whole process of getting people to realize that the problem they have and then you know, positioning yourself as a solution to that problem. And so we were able to do that and they suddenly started closing significant number of deals with larger companies because they were speaking to a very specific problem. And I think the lesson that I took away from this is that you know, there's this somehow there's this natural human instinct to try to spread yourself as broad as possible mm-hmm. because then you have the biggest chance of 
of of reaching people, right? And ironically, the the exact opposite is true. Like the more you narrow your focus on one single type of problem for one single customer, the more you are the perfect solution to a very specific problem, the more quickly you can scale, the more customers you get. And just getting founders to understand that somewhat counterintuitive approach is one of the biggest challenges of what I do when I work with them. Really like that. And I've, uh, I, I particularly like the way that you, you put that around the, um, uh, that natural um, feeling for lots of people of, oh, well, if I, if I reach out more widely and I don't, I don't turn people off, therefore I'll get more opportunities to get sales and relationships and all these yeah. sorts of things. And of course, as you say, it's, it, it, it um, uh, it, unfortunately, the reverse is true. Um, it, it really is. And you know what? It's, it's funny. I mean, you can obviously talk about this in the context of third parties, but I'll tell you about my business. Look, when I started mm-hmm. out, you know, very blue chip, big corporate background. I used to be CEO of a, th- a thousand person company. I would consider myself a pretty good manager. Um, you know, my background is in sales, but I kind of graduated to general management. So like, you know, I had a bunch of business skills that I thought would be relevant for people who are starting their businesses. So at the beginning, I started talking to people about, well, let me help you build your business. But, you know, frankly, that's a very difficult thing to understand. What does that mean in practice? Right. Um, and then, you know, you know, I could be relevant for people who are, you know, starting a, you know, a small business. I could be somebody relevant for somebody in the manufacturing business. I could be somebody relevant for somebody in the professional services business or startups. So, you know, there's a lot of different types of customers that I could be offering my services to. And over time, what I realized is that ultimately the the type of companies that are most acutely interested in my particular approach are startup companies that are innovative, open, want to scale quickly, want to go global, have a global mindset. Like the, just the whole mentality of those people was very different than sort of the, the family owned manufacturing company focused on, you know, delivering, uh, you know, a product to a very specific audience. So that was like one of the ways I focused. And then I realized, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to be a good manager, but I'll tell you what, one thing I'm really good at is how do you sell to business customers? Like that's the significant value I add. And so I narrowed my focus to, I will help you sell and market your product or service to business customers. Um, And the the moment that I started focusing my own offer and saying, if you're a startup founder with a set of characteristics, early stage, but looking to scale, if you want to generate predictable revenues, and if you sell a business service to enterprise customers, I'm your guy. Right. And just that, that level of focus, which took time, by the way, it didn't happen Mm -hmm. overnight completely changed the arc of my business and is, I think, a really good example of how you, you know, you just apply the same principles to so many different other situations that are similar to mine. Yeah. And, and I think that point around it took time and often it's hard, I think, is is really important because like in, in your situation, you might say that there might it must be times where you think, oh, you know what, sometimes it is hard selling to startups. They haven't got big budgets. They, you know, yeah. they really would like to do everything themselves. And so as a result, it's, it's quite a, a, a hard to get a high value ongoing sale there. Yep. Whereas, as you would teach through your own program, like selling to enterprise, actually, you know, the enterprises would value how to sell to enterprises as well. Yep. So therefore, there's a really big opportunity there to uh, but, create these ongoing retainer contracts. And, but the pain is not as great. Like, the, the pain is not as great. And, and that's really fundamental, right? So it's not just enough for you to be identify a problem. You have to identify a problem that is agitating enough for the part, for the particular customer that mm-hmm. they need to solve it, right? And yes. look, I, I say this having worked for 20 years in big companies, you know, uh, flying business class and first class. So just as a replication, as a reflection of their approach to costs, right? Like, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, who cares? It's a rounding error. Um, it's, it's, you know, for them, an incremental growth of, you know, 1% in sales is, is almost irrelevant, right? But for a startup, you know, being able to demonstrate your ability to help them grow 50, 100, 200% in the space of 12 months. I mean, that's a, that's a game changer, right? And so I think that's where it's a really different approach. Again, just reflecting on my own, you know, journey as an entrepreneur. And again, very much, I think, relevant to anybody selling, you know, a service to your, in among your audience is, is you do, it's not just enough to have, you know, the uh, type of customer, they've got to have a problem that is acute mm. enough where they want to take action. Right. And that's, that I think is a fundamental difference. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, and, and I think your clarity on where the value is and where the opportunity is, is, is amazing. I think that uh, what I see a, a lot and I've, you know, I've fallen into it as well is the grass is always greener kind of oh, attitude sure. <laughs> where, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with smaller um, customers, you think, Oh, you know what? 
like like if you take SaaS, um, you know, software businesses as a as an example. <laughs> I've been um, my software businesses generally operate mid market have operated mid market, and as a result, typical uh, average customer value per year is somewhere between the kind of one thousand <laughs> to ten thousand kind of dollars pounds whatever yep. kind of range. And yet I'll meet owners of software businesses that have been only going, I don't know, 12 months or something, and they're already at seven figures revenue. Yeah. You go, oh, wow, how have you done that? Like, you know, how many customers have you got? And the answer is like one yeah. or two. Right. You go, oh, that's so frustrating. Like, you've got these enterprise customers, and that's amazing, and I wish I had that kind of revenue. And yeah. so, of course, it's easy to then go, oh, the grass is greener because how much easily they can get to that. And as long as they can keep those customers happy, it's like you build on top. But on the flip yeah. side, the reverse is true, right? They'll be looking at my business and go, oh, I wish I didn't have the um, uh, customer density risk of if I lose one of yeah, these yeah. customers, then this. And also they'll look at lead, um, lead time cycle and sales cycle and say, oh, it takes me like a year to land the next client yeah, whereas yeah. he's able to pick them up in 30 days. And it's, I, I think often we're all uh, victim to that. We all think like, oh yeah, that looks good. You know, I even see it, people outside the SaaS industry going, oh, I wish I had a software business. And that's because they don't think about data security incidents and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, look, uh, like, like with most things in life, right? Balance is what really is, is yeah. leads to success, right? So I, I think that, um, you know, as much as I talk about selling to enterprises and it's the, the, you know, the, the point of my spear, so to speak, you know, what I talk about is not just, you know, how to sell to enterprises, like how do you become successful as a business to business sales, you know, function. And I think, you know, having that balance of customers and it's something I talk about a lot is that, you know, when you're, you know, one of the first things you have to understand um, when you're approaching enterprise customers is you've got to approach the right ones, right? There are mm -hmm. certain characteristics that you need to have in place or that, that will likely increase the, the, the likelihood of, of your target customers being open to your solution. So a typical, um, you know, characteristic is um, the, the, you know, I talk about elephants and deer, right? I think even in your introduction, you talked about elephants as, as enterprise customers. Well, look, I say that there, you know, if you kind of broadly approach this from three perspectives, they're like the rabbits, the elephant, the deer and the elephant, right? The rabbits are like the, the small nimble customers or that, 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 you know, will move quickly, but frankly, it's hard to, you know, have a long-term meal with just one rabbit, right? On the other end of the elephants who are the large lumbering, low, snow moving, usually market leaders who don't have a huge incentive to, to, to change. But, you know, if you can, you know, hunt for an elephant, that's quite a big, you know, big catch. The, the ideal customers, in my view, um, in the enterprise sector or upper mid-market enterprise sector are the deer, right? These are typically the challengers in their particular category, right? They're the ones that have an incentive to try out new things, to try out new innovations, to get that much better because they're constantly trying to overcome the elephants. And every single segment will have that group of deer that are quite big um, and, and you know, represent a significant part of your, you know, could represent, represent a significant portion of your business, but are, are certainly open and nimble enough to, to you know, make decisions, you know, relatively quickly. The second quality I talk to my customers about, and if I just think about, you know, a typical, um, um, you know, customer, say a, a, a technology solution provider out of the UK that I work with in the, the, the warehousing logistics space, you know, we talked about, okay, so target deer. Um, second, focus on companies that are private, not publicly owned. Why? Because publicly owned companies have quarterly, um, you know, reports to to deliver, numbers to deliver. So they're not going to make huge uh, um, bets on unknown companies. If you're a private company, you have more leeway. Um, you know, try to sell to, H to, to, to headquarters rather than subsidiaries because the decision-making authority sits with headquarters normally. Look for startup-friendly signals. You know, do they have a corporate accelerator? Do they have a corporate venture capital arm? Um, do they have relevant leadership roles? Do they have somebody called the head of innovation in their organization, right? These are all signs that this company is open to the prospect of working with with you know early stage companies, and so you know if I could def de define the perfect corporate target, I'd say their challenger position, privately held with decision making authority in the headquarters, and you know with startup friendly um, signals. Yeah, I love that because I think I've definitely seen, as you say, like um, the rabbits, the deers, the elephants. I've definitely seen those deals on the elephant side, <laughs> where it ends up so frustrating yeah. because it takes so long. <laughs> But also you can get to quite late stages in the process and suddenly, you know, you're inundated with like a thousand question information security questionnaire or um, some very high expectations around uh, some of the things that you might have in place. And those are things that for my businesses, we then we had to put them in place as a result and it took a long time. And that's, that's yep. helped for subsequent 
software businesses could have been quick, quick, quicker yeah. to put that in. But I remember in the early days, we just had to say no. And that was frustrating. I remember one particular client um, uh, or potential client was Visa. And I remember them being really interested and going through all those hoops and then them starting to go down the security bit. And I remember them saying to us like, oh, just so you know, we've been told that our security requirements are higher than that of the NSA, which is like the <laughs> American like security agency, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I remember it was at that point where I finally like, had this moment of realization where I'm just like, huh, maybe they're not right for being a client of ours then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, because right, up to that point, we'd just been like, "Oh my God, it's Visa!" Like, yeah, do yeah. it. Like, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to do, let's do yeah. it. And look, and, obviously, the, the glow of the brand is is a huge um, attraction yeah. for for company, right? I mean, it gives you instant credibility. But but I think one of the things I talk to my to my uh, clients a lot about is is setting expectations, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think you have to fundamentally, and, and I speak about this from experience in the sense that I have been a buyer on the corporate side and I've also yeah. sold to corporations, right? So I kind of, uh, both as a, as an early stage company in my, you know, early stage business that I built and sold, um, you know, you have to understand that the fundamental, um, motivator of a corporation is certainty, right? So, you know, that's why you have scenario, scenario planning. That's why you have meetings to discuss what you're going to discuss in the meeting. That's why you have, slow decision making, right? Nobody gets ever fired for making a decision too early. Um, you know, th- there's there's a, just a mindset that sits with them that you have to understand. Mm-hmm. On the other end is, of course, you know, entrepreneurs and, and startups who are driven by speed, right? Speed to market, you know, uh, beating the competition, very little internal politics, centralized decision making, right? So you kind of have these two completely different views of the world coming together and clashing. And other than just saying, okay, well, that's what I'm getting myself into. Frankly, there's not much you can do about it, right? Mm. I mean, you can do some of the things that I just described in terms of qualifying the clients and you kind of reduce some of that risk, but it's just the way of life. It's like, you know, it's like complaining about gravity. You know, it's just, you know, if you drop a pen out of your hand, it's going to fall on the floor. You know, you just got to live with it, right? And so I think, I think that's something that you just have to get into the process of the right mindset is that these are going to be slow. It's going to take a while. But, you know, the nice thing is, is if you've got a couple of these conversations underway, and you're balancing mm. that with a bunch of other conversations with other companies that are maybe again in that sort of challenger position or even you know smaller companies. You're not putting all your eggs in that one basket. And I think that yeah. combination, as I talked about, that balance of your portfolio is going to be critical to to building a long term sustainable business. Yeah, that's nice. I think one of the one of the other challenges that I see is that once you start going through that process, and as you say, you like go, okay, it's going to take a while, and but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to get a few enterprises uh in the pipeline have those conversations one of the other challenges i've then seen is the product requirements and the expectation of customization so of course you get down that route where it's like oh well yeah actually we really need it to integrate with this system that we've developed internally or it needs to include our branding colors or it needs to do this or that and of course for lots of uh, businesses not just software businesses doing that takes a a lot of time to do it but also it creates in the software world we call it technical debt it creates this problem of at some point when you try and copy it for another client there's then stuff you've got to pull out or if you then do an update later you've now got to update multiple instances because they're all slightly different yeah like and that can be a bit of a uh, a friction point i think for a lot of um, business owners is how do you get that balance right between essentially you know in the SaaS world, one of the benefits of SaaS is that you've got this scale where you're essentially able to say, sell the same product to lots of people and then update it, and that's all great. But of course, that's not the case if you end up with 100 customers that have all got different instances and you can't yeah. update all of them. So how do yeah. you get that balance right? I think you have to divide it in two, right? There's a certain portion of your company life where you're going to have to suffer through this stuff, right? Because in fact, in some ways you're looking at it as, as your customers paying for your development, right? I mean, your product development, right? So mm. if you're going through that process and you're saying you can make with a reasonable uh, assumptions that what they're asking for is something that other customers in that space will likely need as well, then you obviously are looking at this as something that needs to be done, whether they need it or not, eventually it'll have to be done. And here's an opportunity to do it. And somebody's at least paying the bill, you know, assuming of course that you've got a, a commercial agreement with this company, with this um, customer in place. Um, and so I think you need to make some smart decisions there. And I don't think there's a perfect solution or there's no, there's no empirically perfect solution. It's just, you know, common sense. Um, 
at some stage you will reach a portion of the of your right, at some stage you will reach the uh, point in your development where you're actually better off just saying no right like mm. look this is what we can do this is what we do really well and we're not in a position to offer that as an additional requirement right and and of course there's always that risk of losing them but you know at the end of the day that's how you scale right so until you're to the point where you're constantly having to adjust your product to meet a specific customer's needs it, you're you're maintaining your unscalability right the minute mm. that you say this is our solution this is the best possible combination of features and benefits that we put together and we're now selling this as a as a ready-made product, that's when you can start really scaling your business. And so you have to divide that process, I think, into two parts. You know, I'm chairman of a, of a company called Entavo, which is a market leader in the loyalty technology space. So they basically have created an engine that helps power um, really significant loyalty programs uh, for, for retailers and for, for fashion brands around the world, companies like Tommy Hilfiger, companies like BMW, KFC in the UK and the like. And, you know, I've seen the development of that company uh, over the last uh, six, eight, seven years, where at the beginning they were making all sorts of adjustments to their product to match the needs mm -hmm. of specific customers. And now they've reached a stage where they have been able to really de demonstrate that their solution, not perfect, because what solution is ever perfect, is close enough where they can sell it as a ready-made product. And that's what's enabled the company to 3x the revenues in the last uh, 18 months, just by being able to, to, um, you know, to, to, to maintain that commitment to their core product. Nice. Yeah, I think I, I, I like that, that split. And um, I, I feel like for a, a lot of these areas, a lot of these challenges, it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the problem with it, but it's worth it. And actually, just to pick up on that, like, what does it when this goes well, when a business is does a good job of making that pitch work to enterprises and, uh, and reaching out to the right people? What does that look like in terms of volumes and numbers? Because one of the things that I think is hard if, if you've not done it before or if you kind of feel like you've played at it a bit is getting a sense for what does good look like? Like over, over what period for what size team should we expect to have? How many enterprise sales in the pipeline and so on? Because in my experience, um, particularly because it varies like on some businesses we've actively gone for enterprise some it's been more by accident and when it's the by accident it's like one happens to come along every few months yeah. or so um and like then becomes a customer and you go oh wow okay and it's it's almost weird you almost have to look at your stats and go right and take out this certain amount because they're a bit of a one-off anomaly it's a so it's a hard yeah. to know like what what does that look like in businesses that you've worked with where it's gone well how does how does that play out well, I think it's it, like with anything, there's, there's, there's some linear growth and then hopefully there's a tipping point. So, you know, mm. I think as a business grows and it becomes more uh, credible and, it, you know, it, it gains credibility through existing deals and you know how it is. I mean, corporations are sheep in many ways, right? If they see the necessary logos on your presentation deck and they say, okay, well, if these guys signed off and it must not be bad, you know, you've got to get to that stage. You know, I've seen companies that I've worked with have, you know, one, two enterprise deals a year. And, you know, I've worked with companies now that are 10, 15. You know, I don't think, I mean, because I do focus on companies that are sort of post-seed, pre-series A. So that's kind of my sweet spot in terms of their development. So they're, you know, they have, they're, they're scaling, but they haven't found product market fit uh, mm -hmm. yet. You know, I can't speak to companies that are doing, you know, 50, 100, 200 enterprise deals a year. That's beyond the scope of what I operate on. But I think, you know, for that particular, um, segment you know i think the idea of closing five to 15 deals a year at enterprise level is a is a reasonable range um and you know we don't we're not we're not living in a very great environment for these deals right now right i mean there's a lot of of delays and budget cuts and pushbacks and i'm sure you've you know, come across this in other contexts as well right i mean right now there's a certain level of of fear in the market still about what's going on in the economy. So as a result, I think the volume of deals has dropped in the last sort of 18 months. But, you know, this is also very cyclical. I mean, at some stage, something's going to happen in the world and all of a sudden people are going to forget about the, you know, pending recession, which has been pending for the last, you know, two years, and then things are going to take off again. Um, but bottom line is, I think you need to, you know, you need to, to measure your f success by the stage at which you're in. And I think mm. most importantly, at this day and age, you have to make sure that you have just enough resources to service just enough enterprise customers. So this concept of let's hire a bunch of people and then you know the business will come. That's very 2001. Uh, sorry, 2021. Um, now it's all about profitability and and making sure that you're you're putting in just as much uh, effort to to deliver just enough of result and rather than overkill on other side. 
Yeah, fair enough. And do, do you have a view on deal size? Because something that I've seen is that, uh, and you know, if I think about an advisor that I had many years ago, where they, you know, when I share with them, oh, we've got this big client that's uh, started working with us, whether it's 3M or Sony or <laughs> Britvic or Pepsi or whatever, like, and they'd say, well, turn that into a seven-figure client. Like, you know, this is what this is the thinking that you should have. Yeah. And and personally, like um, candidly, like I've always struggled with that. Like particularly mm -hmm. because the nature of generally my software businesses, as I say, deal size, typically uh, up to the kind of ten thousand kind of level. Then thinking, okay, what would this look like? Seven figures. And so I, I've kind of suffered with that limiting thinking. I also mm -hmm. know that there is, um, you know, the principle of like this kind of crossing the chasm piece around. Actually, you need to be charging a certain amount to even make all of this sales. Uh, yeah. effort and, and lag time worthwhile. And I've heard numbers like 50,000 is kind of a minimum for the kind of deal size that we're talking about. Do you have a view on where, when business owners are thinking about this, what they should be thinking in terms of their model, both in terms of how much that they should be expecting to charge, and also how should they then be thinking about the value offering and what they're going to do to make them feel comfortable charging those kind of amounts? So, so you know, obviously uh, it's very difficult to, to talk about like very broad generalizations because, you know, especially I, I operate in the European market and, you know, a, an enterprise deal in the Czech Republic is very different than an enterprise deal in the UK, right? It's just a sheer different size of, of the market. What I can tell you is, as I sort of a decent rule of thumb, I'd say that enterprise starts at sort of between 30 and 50,000 euros, let's say in a year, like as a, as a starting point. I think then you kind of jump into the 100 and 150,000 euro deal, uh, annual deal value range as kind of a next level. And then after that, it's also obviously a function of the industry, but it can be three, four, five hundred thousand euros. Um, you know, the, the seven-figure deals feel to me more like U.S. type of you know numbers. Um, I, I don't, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find you know early-stage companies closing million-dollar deals in Europe. Um, maybe a later series, you know, B and, and beyond that could be realistic. Um, one insight, though, I would have on this in terms of the value that you're selling, and I've experienced this now twice. Um, I mentioned earlier um, on Tavo this loyalty technology platform that I, I'm an early investor in and also chairman of currently. You know, I'll be honest with you, back in 2017, 18, they were getting annual deal sizes of 20, 30, 35,000 euros. And there was a point at which it was like, you know, we either grow quickly and scale this thing, or this is going to end up being a lifestyle business. Mm. And effectively, all we did was simply double the prices on the exact same product. And an amazing thing happened. We started getting bigger customers who were willing to pay twice as much for the exact same product. And suddenly the $30,000 deals or Euro deals were now 60,000 Euro deals and so on, right? And so, so a lot of this is also a bit of mindset and, and also a bit of targeting, right? So they were targeting certain customers who were only prepared to pay 25, 30, but they shifted a little bit higher into higher range customers. And all of a sudden they had bigger budgets and they were willing to take bigger risk. And, and you know, I don't think that's, Everybody can do that, but a lot of your ability to raise the, you know, the, the size of your deals is not based on your customers, it's based on your mindset and how you approach the sales process. Yeah, love that. I, mean, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I've picked and, a few and by various the, by the way, Sorry, just, just as an end to that story, now they're doing deals average size of 150,000 euros, right? So again, it's, 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 that's grown to that side. But, and, and I would say the product has also evolved since then, but, but I'm just saying that, that that's how much you know, the scaling could be you know, can, can change just through your own strategy. Yeah, and, that, and thank you for sharing that. Because uh, when, you, when you said, oh, and we doubled it, it did make me think like, cool. And so when are you going to double it again? Yeah. <laughs> so, that process has happened. That's, uh, that's awesome. Um, I love those. And I, I've picked a few various challenges that I've either hit myself numerous, uh, on numerous occasions or that others have hit. Are there any other challenges that you'd say that um, businesses that are trying to, to make uh, B2B enterprise selling work um, that, that are critical that I haven't already um, picked on that, that you'd like to kind of tackle? Well, I think there's a couple of typical situations uh, that you might find yourself in that, that I'd, I'd reflect on. So one is, you know, you're selling a product or a service that is falls into the nice to have category rather than the need to have category. And I think it's really important that you understand that you know, the amount of effort that an enterprise will put in into negotiating an agreement is quite significant, right? For all the reasons that you just described in terms of decision making and technology and security. So whatever you're selling has got to have meaning 
right? It's got to mm-hmm. have a meaningful loss, lasting impact, and it's got to have a bottom line focus, right? And, you know, look, I've sat in enough, you know, boardrooms over the like, course of my career, you know, evaluating investment opportunities. And, and, you know, we can talk about all sorts of really high level expectations in terms of sustainability and the ESG and a lot of stuff that's, you know, important. But at the end of the day, decision makers are driven by the bottom line. Sorry, that's just the reality. That's what their bonus is paid on. Are they making a profit or not? So if you can't demonstrate that your um, particular solution is going to either help them generate more revenues or save costs, you're going to have a very, very difficult time selling into enterprises. That's just the one thing. So make sure whatever problem you solve, it matters. Right? That would be the first thing. The second is a sense of is a question of credibility. Right. So, um, and especially this goes a little bit towards the, the kind of the startup environment. Um, you know, you've got this typical kind of Hollywood picture of the startup founder, you know, with the, the raggedy jeans and the hoodie and the, you know, Apple um, laptop under their arm with the Starbucks cup in their, in their hands. That's all cool. And that's all really interesting and, 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 and romantic. But you know what? If you're stepping into a glass building on the 15th floor pitching to corporates, you better show up looking like somebody that they want to do business with. Um, and that has a lot to do with the impression that you make. And it's also the quality of the materials you present. Um, you know, do you sound and, and, and present like somebody that they can trust? Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very important part. And I think something that in this day and age is maybe downplayed a bit as being, you know, old, st- old school. But I'll tell you what, I can tell you so many times I've been in boardrooms where people, you know, they say your personal brand is what people say when you, about you when you leave the room. You know, person left the room and they're like, you know, this guy just doesn't seem really serious, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like somebody we want to do business with, right? So you got to make sure that you build your credibility. And by the way, that comes with things like, you know, you work at brand name companies, you know, you've got, you know, brand name customers, you know, you can put on a jacket and make a decent presentation, like things that just make people, you know, make an impression out of people. And the third thing I think is at some stage during the process of selling, you will need to find an internal champion, right? And that's a very important process. Um, an important element of closing a deal, right? So, so the, the nature of, of enterprises is that nobody actually ever really makes a decision. Decisions just happen. And so you have to have somebody who are, is on your side and is, is, is representing your uh, arguments in front of the people that matter. And, you know, you should be looking at finding that internal champion. That internal mm-hmm. champion will most likely not be the decision maker. Um, if it is, you're very lucky. Um, but it's oftentimes somebody who's sort of a mid to high level person in the organization who has got a, a technical, uh, professional, um, experience or relevant oversight of a specific part. So if you're selling an, you know, if you're selling an HR service or product, then you, you know, the HR director is your internal champion, or if you're selling a technology solution in production, the production manager, that's the, the internal champion, but in somebody who is helping you and representing you in those meetings and also is mapping out the path to yes on your behalf. So you understand what's going to have to happen in order for you to get this, um, this done. And so, so that really those kind of three things I think that I would say are, are fundamental things you have to overcome is solving a problem that matters, you know, building your credibility and seeming like a credible partner and, and boosting your success uh, just by getting access to insights and internal um, support through an internal champion. Yeah, I really like that. And it's, it reminds me of um, an example with an enterprise customer where, as you say, we had the internal champion. And I, I want to highlight that um, I think that's such a good, uh, an important point, particularly because I think it's easy when thinking about enterprise and thinking about this complex uh, decision-making uh, unit that are making the decision, it's easy to then treat the people like they're this enterprise-y, corporate unit, whereas actually... You need to build relationships with the individuals. And I think a nice example for me was demonstrated when I had um, an enterprise client who their finance and procurement uh, function contacted us to basically say, oh, yeah, you've got to you know, supply registration, got to do this. By the way, our standard terms are like 90 days net, which I think yeah. works out as being like five months before you get paid between like your yeah. your invoice and so on which is a nightmare given that it's, it's already taken a year to get the sale at this point um yeah. and uh and i remember a member of my team saying like so what do you, you know like this sucks like normally we don't do this like what do i do and um i said uh speak to like the the key person that we've got the relationship with and see what they say and we didn't even get a reply from that person instead we got then the follow-up email from procurement saying oh yeah 30 days is fine yeah Yeah. and and what a huge difference that makes 
you know, yeah. from uh, oh, indeed, like your ability to scale between a month and five months uh, of getting the money yeah. makes a huge difference. So, and I think, as you say, it's it's everything, right? Having that internal champion that goes, yeah, I see the value and pushes it is just perfect. And of course, building that relate, I, I found in um, my another business, building that a little bit. Uh, so that you've got one or two, like two or three people in the business is then really helpful because often people leave and the yeah. whole the relationship and everything just goes with them. Yeah. Well, so, that's, I mean, that look, that's, that's one of the hidden dangers of enterprise sales is somebody, mm -hmm. you know, leave, either they're fired or they're re reassigned or whatever. And then you kind of start from scratch again. I mean, yeah. that's happened. That's happened a few times before with me and my clients as well. And so, so given all of those things that need to happen and those opportunities to get things right or wrong, how important is it for businesses to have like, a structured approach, uh, processes in place when approaching large enterprise clients. I think it's critical. I think it's 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 almost you, you you can't even do it without the the structure, right? And I think that's you know I think I think that's the, one of the the real obstacles that a lot of founders need to overcome, right? So so mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, I would say again, this is a rationalization, but generally are more intuitive, right? These are people who kind of want to change the world. They want to do something great. They want to build you know great things, hopefully, and they're doing it for the right reasons. And so that doesn't necessarily lend itself to, you know, structure and, and, and process and all that stuff. But I have to tell you, if you want to be successful at building a business to business focused a company that sells to enterprises, you better get comfortable with structure quickly. There's a certain amount of chaos that you can, uh, you know, manage up to a certain point. But in order for you to be able to to um to engage with this type of company you've got to again be able to to master that process and and that's by the way really the essence of the third the third pillar of, of the lunch code which is like you know how do you go about um you know managing your business and your sales processes in an effective way and like in number one is you know, set clear goals right like mm -hmm. understand what good looks like um both in a, a long-term a mid-term and a short-term basis and really set out clearly what it is you want to achieve and and see how these enterprise customers and specific types of customers fit into those objectives that's like step, step number one step number two you better be able to track your progress and manage your performance effectively by gathering data um i can't mm -hmm. tell you how many um uh you know i would say early stage businesses actually generating millions and millions of, of pounds or euros of revenue don't use a crm system like a very fundamental basic database of customer contact and so that's like one of the first like do you have a crm oh no well, okay well like you should start start with that like just being able to gather information and data in one place and not you know relying on slips of paper in excel um again having that tracking your performance seeing what's working see which of your your outreach campaigns is delivering the most effective results doubling down on that right so a lot of that stuff is just like thing so that ultimately use that data to make decisions and you know moving from that well my gut tells me that the answer is a but the data tells me actually you know, well the answer is b and then trusting mm -hmm. the data and the third and final bit which is very important is ultimately building the set of functions within the sales and marketing organization that cover off from everything from lead generation to 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 account management to upselling to administration and, and the like and, and just making sure that look maybe at the beginning it's just three people doing you know 17 jobs but you know as you grow the organization those functions start you know splitting like an atom right and people start getting specific elements of that function and so creating the the pillars of that so that ultimately as you scale your business you as a founder don't end up sitting there managing the entire sales process on your own. However, maintaining an important part of you know sales is as the leader of the organization, but not you know being burdened with the day-to-day -day grind. And so that kind of combination of elements is what I think creates the structure that you just described that will make it make you much more likely to succeed selling to you know big customers who expect that from their from their partners and suppliers. Fantastic. Love that. And yeah, completely agree. So uh, Zoltan, as we kind of move to a close, what, what would be the kind of key one, two, three takeaways that you'd like uh, listeners who are looking to scale their businesses, etc.? What's the key uh, takeaways that you'd like to leave them with? Well, look, I, I think I think, you know, broadly speaking, if you're selling to enterprises, I think it's critical that you have a very clear value proposition and, 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 and message to the market as to why you are the company that a particular type of customer should do business with it. If you can't explain it yourself, then don't expect others to understand it. The second is, you know, don't fall into the trap of, you know, 
assuming that a bunch of random actions will somehow coagulate into some you know clear outcome you know be very structured in the way that you identify the outbound activities the partnership activities and the inbound marketing activities you do and and make sure that you're you're balancing your activities across those three and then ultimately of course looking at what's delivering results and what's not and third again you know, make sure you're clear on the targets you want to achieve, execute based on the targets so you can ultimately make better decisions and, and, and scale your business effectively. Um, to that end, um, you know, I, I'd love to connect with any B2B tech founders who find themselves in that position, maybe struggling a little bit with that, but who people want, want to sell and market to enterprise customers. And, and I actually want to offer your, your listeners and viewers a, an opportunity. Um, you know, the first step I always take when I start working with founders is to share a, a five-step process I created to create a crystal clear value proposition, right? This is kind of what I call the low-hanging fruit where they can experience the immediate results. So I want to share this process with your listeners. So if they go to zoltanvardi.com backslash podcast, that's Z-O-L-T-A-N-V-A-R-D-Y.com backslash podcast, they can get access to a free value proposition video guide I created. It's a 30-minute video with a worksheet, and they will ultimately be able to use that to create a single sentence that explains why customers should buy what they're selling. And so that's something that, uh, that hopefully they can use as a resource, and, and I'd love to, to offer that to them. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that's uh, such a, a valuable uh, exercise for anyone to do for their businesses to get that clarity on on how to uh, essentially position and pitch their their business. So I uh, highly recommend people check that out at zoltanbardi.com forward slash podcast. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Zoltan. It's been great talking to you. I uh, really, really appreciate it. And you've added so much value. So first off, thank you so much. It was my, my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, brilliant. And uh, I'd like to say for any uh, I mean, we've talked about uh, the, the principles of enterprise sales work really well uh, for all sorts of businesses. We know that uh, particularly Zoltan uh, focuses on those, those startup businesses. And um, uh, I've definitely experienced all this in the world of, of SaaS uh, startups and, and trying to build software businesses. Um, but it reminds me that we recently developed some resources. So if you're a SaaS business owner who's looking to systemize your processes, such as enterprise sales, as covered in today's episode, uh, we've now got some guides and resources, uh, including a free scorecard with a, a report uh, to help you to scale your business faster. And you can check this out at airmanual.co forward slash SAS, that's S-A-A-S, uh, to learn more. Uh, but otherwise, uh, one final thing before you go after you've been listening to this episode, if you found today's content valuable, please take a minute, hit like, subscribe, leave a review, share it on social media, tag us in. We'd really, really appreciate it. It helps the uh, episode get more visibility, helps more people, and also uh, gives a lovely thank you to Zoltan for his time. So uh, please do that. Uh, otherwise, Zoltan, thanks again. Thank you so much for joining me. And to everyone else, until next time, have fun. Thanks. All right, we're all set.